This morning, we're going to continue our series about the results of man rebellion. This is really the result of man turning their back on truth, denying truth, rejecting the truth, trying to suppress the truth. All of these things are we see in Romans chapter 1. We learn a lot about God in the very beginning. He talks about all that he's done for us and the blessings, the love that he's poured out for us. And then he talks about what man does in their heart and how that affects uh, them and so and how it affects us. Uh, and so anyway, this morning, you may be wondering, why is the world the way it is? You look at our culture, look at the things going on around us, and my desire, I've really been excited about this series of messages for the last two years. And so I might get a little fast in my talking because I want to get so much in And I want to share God's truth with you, not man's desire, not man's will, not my even my desire, but what God says about when man takes over their own heart uh, and what that looks like and what happens. There's an actual actual flow downward. And so we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at even some of the things that affect our thinking and how it works. And so my desire is is that you would see God and see his desire and will for our life and for those around us. Well, let's pray as we prepare to read Romans chapter 1, verses um, 18 through 27. It's going to be quite, I want to get the context in for this morning and next week. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for actually the the plain words that you use to instruct and guide us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would love you. Lord, help us as we are confronted with things that are are different, the things that are counterculture. As we look at your word, we see that man has run far from you in their thinking. So, Lord, help us as the body of Christ to draw near to you. And in doing so, Lord, that we would see you drawing near to us. We thank you for your love. Not the love in which the world speaks of, but the love that you have demonstrated towards us. Lord, your love of a Savior, your love, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you that we can rejoice in you and we can come to you with prayer in in the hard things of life with thanksgiving and lord we can make our request known to you we can come to our father who is in heaven a father that is perfect and is holy and in that we can have peace through the lord jesus christ and the work that you've done on our behalf so lord i pray that that gospel truth that connecting truth with you would guard our hearts and our minds, and that you would do a great work in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're wondering, my, I forgot to, my family's gone, they're up running, trying to catch up with my, my son up in Canada, my, and so uh, my mom and dad are not feeling well, so the, going and rescuing Jaden from, <laughs> from that, and he's uh, the, the lone one, not sick, so... But uh, so I'll be praying for uh, the others, Anissa and, and Jared and, and uh, Kelsey. They're all 
running up and running back in a day, so it'll be quite the trip. Well, as we look at our verses this morning, may you hear God's intent in God's word, and may we hear the explanation uh, from him. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor God, him as God, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So we see this line of a result of what happens when man rebels against the Lord. Last week we saw the first result is this. He actively abandons people to immoral desires that are out of control. So the first step is that they exchange the, the truth for a lie. They actually, the idea is, is that they give up what is true and they begin to fabricate lies and they trust in the lie. They try to set up the lie as a firm foundation only to crack and crumble and constantly having to, to replace it with something and fix it. Maybe you know what I'm talking about when you've tried to replace something with something that is inferior, Right? You know, you know, there's concrete fixes, and then there's these patches, and then the patches deteriorate and fall apart. And, or, you know, you get the aftermarket part if you're trying to fix a car, and you don't have a lot of money, so you get the cheapest part possible, only it breaks like a month later. Uh, this is the idea. They, they exchange something that is true for something that is not true, and it just it falls apart. And so the idea in the verbs is that they are actively, continually to move further away from God's truth. And this is what active rebellion is. And really, and he's talking about in verses 24 and 25, the sexual immorality. Uh, that they dishonor their bodies. It's the first step. Um, they've turned their back on God. They believe lies. They believe things. They believe that fulfilling these passions and they dishonor themselves, and they don't care. It describes, literally, a downward human spiral. 
It, it, it's a downward progression of the human race as it steadily moves away from God. So as they move away from God, they're specifically going down further and away from God. God has basically abandoned them and gave them up or turned them away. And basically the idea is that God removed the governor off their heart and just turned them loose to any and out of control heart. And what it means is that they're just, they get worse and worse and worse, more depraved and moral depravity. The key to this passage is a, th- a three, or three, if you can do it like, I do it like this because I can't quite get that, but a threefold phase. You notice he says God gave them up three different times in our text. In a couple of weeks from now, we'll get to the third one. But basically, the idea is is that each time it's repeated, it describes something that's worse. So the first time, it's like they're out of control. They they just give themselves over. Their their heart, God's out of their heart, and basically, it gets worse and worse and worse. The result, number two, it just keeps getting worse still. And result, number three, it gets even worse. In the end, society has turned all moral values upside down. So what was good is now bad. And what is bad is now good. And that's the reality. And it leads us to result number two. In verse 26, it's very plain, it's very clear, and we're going to go look through the wording so you don't are not, uh, have any uh, wondering. But the result is, is mankind dishonored God's original design for their bodies. God had an original when he created man and he created woman. He had an original design and he set it forth. And now in man's rebellion, they've just totally given that up. And they give in to the urges of homosexuality. I chose that word homosexuality on purpose because it's a biblical term. And it's not only a biblical term, but it's a term that everybody is trying to get away from to try to redefine it in their own image. If you're wondering about this term, and it was very popular in the day, you know, we think about today and things are getting so bad and we talk about that. But as I've done some historical context and study over the last few years, it's amazing how bad it was during Paul's time. When God wrote these verses and, and spoke them to Paul and said, write this, God, God was speaking to a utterly debased, it's even, I, I can't tell you how much more disgusting it is compared to today. And today is disgusting. Homosexuality was common in the first century in the Greeks and to the Romans and it was often spoken without any sense of shame. In fact, it was, there was laws for homosexuality, not against it, not even to just legalize it, but just to say, to make it happen. There was literally Greek and Roman laws to perpetuate this desire. At times, the Roman Empire specifically taxed and approved homosexual uh, prostitution. They even gave boy prostitutes a legalized holiday. It's in the Roman history books. 
Same-sex marriage was legalized, recognized, and even some of the Roman emperors married men. Nero was one of those guys. In fact, the, one of the uh, 16 out of the 14 Roman emperors in the beginning of Roman Empire were homosexual. In fact, Nero first got married to a young boy. Uh, wasn't even a teenager yet. Castrated him, and he was the man, and, and the boy was the wife. And then later on in his life, Nero became the wife and he married another man. Plato talks about it, if you want to, and talks about the Roman history. Plato says that the Cretans, that's the barbarians, practiced this crime of homosexuality and justified themselves by the example of looking to the god Jupiter, small g. Aristotle says, and he wrote that among the Cretans and barbarians, there were laws encouraging that sort of unnatural love. And what we see is these people rejected the truth of what God created, the natural truth, and he embraced the lie. They gave up the truth, and therefore they gave up God. They abandoned God, and God abandoned them. And in that process, they came up with this just debased and horrible system that distorted what love is, the love that we know and cherish on the cross. Even so, it, this, what we see going on today, it's, it's no wonder. Today's method of rejecting the truth is, you know, we've talked about modernism, postmodernism, and now we have deconstructionism, which, by the way, was not new to this era. It was started uh, in our present era by a French philosopher, Jacques uh, Derrida. Derrida developed the idea of deconstructionism to examine literature and grammar. The whole idea was they're going to make this philosophy so that they can critique. It's kind of where we hear about higher criticism. Those of you that are in, in the educational system or have studied some theology, you'll, you'll understand that for the, the layman's term. Or if you look at our modern philosophy being espoused today, it's de deconstructionism. But the approach would be applied to every social construct. You might have heard those words. So the idea of deconstruction is to look at every social construct in the world, whether it be marriage, family, church, politics, culture, um, human individualities, and then basically rip them apart. What is critical to this idea of deconstructionism is that it never presents a solution. That's not the goal. That's not the idea. It is designed, it isn't designed for that endeavor at all. It only points to the next question that needs to be asked. There's always more questions. Develop more questions to make, to separate you from a social construct. Basically, that there is no answers. Which is sad because we see the world with no hope. In an article titled uh, Jock Derrida, Deconstructionism, Catherine Turner writes, Deconstructionism is concerned not with discovery of truth, or of distilling correct conclusions. They don't want it the truth. In fact, they want to destroy truth. Back to what God said. When man turned their back on God, he says that they exchanged 
truth for a lie. God is, by the way, describing what we are currently living in our philosophical movement. Deconstruction, but rather uh, is concerned with the process of questioning truth itself. It is a process characterized by uncertainty and indeterminacy. You cannot, you'll never get to something that will satisfy you. Well, Virgil Walker writes, he's a believer, I don't agree with everything he says, but when he talks about deconstructionism in a podcast about just thinking, which is pretty good, but he writes, uh, during the most recent episode of of Just Thinking podcast, I and Daryl Harrison spent three hours examining deconstructionism, and one of its most vocal proponents is the rap artist Lecrae, who basically has turned his back on God. And in preparing for this episode when they were going to talk to him, they discovered that for most deconstructionism is more likely a gateway drug for thinking to fully embrace social justice, LGBTQ, and Christian feminism, and anything that takes God out of Christianity. The whole idea is to use this philosophy to set up man as God. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's exactly what we're seeing. Paul is writing, but we see the, the fruits of that even today. That man is trying in their philosophies. And, and in Colossians chapter th- uh, 2, he says, you know, beware of philosophies, human thinking that gets away from Christ and puts the ownership on man. And that's the idea, is, is that man wants to suppress the truth. They don't want to listen to the truth. They don't want to respond to the truth. They don't want to be responsible for the truth. But in doing so, they've created a system that has no peace, that has no truth. It has no end to the depths of their depravity. So this morning, I want to just simply look at this. And then next week, we're going to go down into the depths of what Paul and what God is giving us in describing word by word what homosexuality is We're going to climb out of that filthiness next week. And then we're going to have a week off as we get to share with with our brothers and sisters from Togo, West Africa, as they are here in a couple weeks. But look at, if you have your Bibles, go back and look at verse 26. What do we learn about homosexuality from this passage when it says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions? Well, we learn this about it. The first thing is, is that it's born out of, out of, out of control lust. I know it's redundant, but it's born out of that. Where does this idea of homosexuality come from? When God, the result number one of rebelling against God's truth, for the more that they suppress the truth, the more that they try to deconstruct the social construct and try to become God themselves, they basically become out of control in their thinking, which results in how they view themselves. 
It's, it's just basically what we've read already in verses 18 through 25. Claiming to be wise, they become fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man. They began to worship themselves in verse 25 rather than worshiping God. Therefore, the more that they worship themselves, the more that they want to determine what they want to do with themselves. They are looking for how to worship themselves, how to feel good. The more you worship yourself, you want to feel good. And it's this downward slope into a pit of despair. Not the one in Princess Bride, but the one, the eternal lake of fire. Here's the other thing that we learn. It's a choice. Homosexuals are made and not born. They choose this sin. It's a choice. Did you notice in verse 26, for this reason, he gave them up. He just let them go even further for their women exchanged It's ownership. That word in the Greek is an ownership. It means to cease one's activity and to start something else. So what he's describing for both men and women here, by the way, you notice he's completely given us all the information we need. What is he talking about? Natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving it in themselves a due penalty for their error. Do you notice the exchange? Giving up of one activity and taking up another activity in its place. It denotes the giving up of one thing that's natural in order to receive something else in its place that they create for themselves. That's how they use this word. During this time, that's the etymology of the word. It's not how people use it today. The idea it says man giving up, the idea of giving up conveys the basic idea of an action which causes separation and thus means to send away and let go from oneself. So they're separating from what God created and letting go of themselves to something else. Thus the idea of what God is saying here is thus men have made a deliberate, conscious choice of their will to abandon the natural for the unnatural. They, they have decided that they want a counterfeit passion. They want a counterfeit image of their own making. The idea here, guys, is this. Homosexuality thus is conditioned It's taught, it's indoctrinated to be acceptable. It's thus made. It's not born. They choose it. Seneca even writes back in during the time, it says that in this time it was practiced openly at Rome and without shame. Seneca speaks of flocks and troops of boys, many that were put into slavery, many that were, when they uh, took over a land, they would round up the boys and they would put them into slavery. And basically, he speaks of flocks of boys distinguished by their colors and nations and say that 
and says that great care was taken to train them up for the detestable employment of homosexuality. They were trained. Thus, having enough trained men to fulfill the passions. Because it's not natural. And that brings us to the next point. It's, it's against God's design of nature. That's what he's saying here. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged the natural for that which was contrary to nature. That goes right back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. God had a purpose and he had a plan. It is not our plan. It's not our desires. Verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then he explains that even further. And he says, male and female, he created them. For those that are gender pronoun specific. It's very specific in the Hebrew it's not talking about an idea of manhood. It's talking about the very creation of man and woman itself. Very distinct human beings. And he said in verse 28, And God said to them, here's your purpose. Be fruitful and multiply. That's the natural relations that God gave man and woman. And he goes on to say, right, and, and we read in verse 22 that in that we see the creation of marriage, of the relationship. God did not create another man to be a helpmeet for a man or a husband. He did not create another woman to be another helpmeet for another woman. He created a man and he created a woman to be a suitable helpmeet. Because, guys, let's face it, we're dumb. <laughs> we need a help me, right? That's why I call my wife a Google. Where is this? She goes, why? have you looked? And I said, no. And she goes, why did you ask me then? I said, because you know where it is, <laughs> right? Because I have no clue. She knows where it is. But here's the thing. It says in verse 18 of chapter 2, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And he created a woman. And what's amazing is Adam looked all over to and fro. In verse 20, it says, But Adam, there was not found a suitable helpmeet. So God created it. God's natural design was very, very specific. The wording is specific. And basically, what we learn from this passage, not only that it's a, homosexuality is against God's design, but it's an unnatural function not created by God. It's created by man. It's, it's trained. It's indoctrinated. It is, and that's what we see going on with the deconstruction philosophy that we see being imposed on every system known to us even today is to deconstruct so that way truth can be whatever it, you want it to be. You can become God. Because the relativism of the 90s didn't do enough damage. they got to find another way to destroy truth. It is an unnatural. It's, it's, the word unnatural, by the way, is abominable. It's where we get abomination. 
It's not natural. It's running literally. It's running contrary or away from its natural design. That's why we see in Jude 7, which we'll talk about next week a little more, in Jude verse 7, because there's only one chapter, says this, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serving as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. It was fun. I got to travel through through Israel. And it's amazing is we were in at Masada at the base, you know, we were at Masada and we got a me and my buddy who was cross country and track guy, we, we decided we were gonna run Masada. And we did, we made it. We made it before the sun came up so we can sit. Now they have railings, you can't do it anymore. But we sat on the edge of Masada with our feet dangling off as stupid young people would do, and we looked at the sunset. And I was amazed because we hiked all through there. There is nothing growing in that whole region. Nothing. And there is no saltiness like the saltiness from that region. It is amazing. It's desolate. What God did to that region is still happening. They say it's growing. What God did is still happening today when he consumed it in all of its sinfulness. It was not created. It's unnatural. It also involves repeatedly feeding strong, disgraceful urges that consumes them. In verse 27, it says, consumed with passions for one another. It's repeated a couple times in both 26 and 27. But the idea is that this is a burning consumed. It's to, it's to basically something that is destructive, that's set on fire. It's caused to burn and to flame up. The idea, the word passions or pathos means an excited emotion uncontrollable desire given in compelling feelings. It means that it's an uncontrollable desire that compels their feelings. You say, well, they say that this is, this is who I am because this is how I, I feel. It's uncontrollable. It's my whole makeup. Well, it is because they've turned their back on God and God's given them up to a passion that's consuming them. Just like God consumed Sodom and Gomorrah. It's consuming them and it's continuing to burn out of control. Literally, that it's consuming their passions and they have to feed it. It's an overpowering urge. It's the idea that they are burning with a... a uncontrollable lust, a fire that destroys, a fire that spreads quickly on passions, on dry timber, fire that flames up in a wind. You know, uh, my kids were, you know, we had a burn pile and we turned the, the pit that Jim dug for, a, you know, a duck pond, we turned it into a burn pit, trying to, you know, but the kids, you know, I said burn one box at a time, you know, burn one piece of you know, cutting from the tree at a time. And even though they were trying to be careful, it still caught the grass on fire. You know, 
But, you know, we're good farmers, and they had the hose running, not just, you know, hose there. It was running, and they, you know, sprayed it down. But it just immediately, I mean, it was six feet away from the burning, you know, fire and twig, and it caught the... And that's the idea here. It consumes, it just brushes quickly across emotions and it set it on blaze until it's out of control. And it leads to this. Homosexuality that we learn, it's a shameful deformation of a true life. In verse 27, it says, The men likewise, they gave up the natural relations with a woman and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. That idea of shamelessness there, committing these shameless acts means an act in defiance. You know the word shameless here doesn't mean just being, just feeling shame. It's actually an act of defiance of a moral standard with the results in disgrace, embarrassment, and shame. Guilt, basically the idea is guilt derived from the deformed view of God's natural creation of life. They, they purposely disgrace themselves in defiance to God. It says, yeah, God, I know what you said, but I'm going to do my thing. And it turns out to destroy their life. It deforms their life. I've been with different guys that I've witnessed to and they've come to know the Lord and they've talked about how it has changed their life for the rest of their life, both physically and spiritually. It deforms them. It's it's interesting, as we look through the Bible, we see that sins that are committed with our bodies, that are with our bodies, the very image that God created, that we're supposed to carry God's image. And when when we... do shameful things with our bodies, it deforms our life in a way that directly hurts and changes and produces shame. And we see this last one, or this next to the last one, it reaps natural consequences. People are always saying, well, well, pastor, you know, AIDS, you know, and they quickly changed it from AIDS and it used to be called something else, gay something in deficiencies because of how it was transmitted. They were adding fluid from one person that didn't belong to the other person, and that extra fluid that was brought destroyed the immunity of that person because it doesn't belong there. But it's amazing. God created a man and a woman to receive both those fluids, but not a woman and a woman and not a man and a man. It's not natural, and it creates problems. No, it's not that God is directly saying, okay, I'm going to just put my finger on you and I'm going to, it's basically God using that. No, it's just a natural consequence. It happens. When you use your body wrong, natural things happen. Like, right? I have this urge to ride my bull before I slaughter it. I've always wanted to ride a bull. I can't tell you why. But I have this other thing in my head that's saying, boy, you are stupid. (laughs) You are turning 50. It's a dumb thing to do. (laughs) But I recognize, and I say, I have that urge. 
but I'm fighting the urge <laughs> to give in to the urge. Now, I have ridden one of my other cows, but I have not ridden my bull. I don't think I'm going to ride my bull. <laughs> but this is the thing. If I rode the bull, I'm going to suffer the natural consequences of doing something I know that's potentially going to hurt me. No matter how much I like adventure, no matter how much I like the adrenaline rush, I know not wise. Now, 20 years ago, I most definitely would have did it. And I probably would be in a wheelchair. <laughs> I, I, I did, that's the reason why I've had back problems, neck problems, shoulder problems, because I had wise people telling me, you shouldn't do that with your body. And I did those things anyway. And now I pay those consequences. Well, we see here in verse 27, it says, and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. He's, not, he's saying that they're going to receive natural consequences. Exactly what Paul is saying. It mirrors exactly what Galatians 5 and verse 16 says. It says, but I say to you, God says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So the more that you rebel against God and you gratify your desires, the more you're going to fight God and you're not going to give in to the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Imagine that. So if we surrender to the Spirit and God's Spirit, the Spirit fights against the flesh. You know what the beautiful thing about that is? You don't have to conquer anything. God has conquered it. And here's the deal. God has conquered these things. We just have to surrender to his spirit. It says, verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are no, under, under, no longer under the law. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. And on and on and on. All the same words that Paul is using here. How about Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 and 8? It says, Let no one who has taught the word share all good things with the one, with the one who, who teaches. Verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever sows, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows of his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows of the Spirit will reap the Spirit will reap eternal life. Do you get the idea? Our verses in Romans 1 speaks of a tragic, self-destructive nature of sin, indicating that it often carries within itself its own penalty. God, it won't be mocked. He knows what He created. He knows what's natural. He knows what is unnatural. And if we sow the things... I mean... If we want apples so we can make apple pie, which I like my apple pie, yeah, but and then I'm going to plant an apple seed. Or I'm going to plant I'm going to go find more apple trees and plant more apple trees so I can have more apple pie. Right? But if I want apple pie, why in the world would I plant an orange tree? And then when my wife makes an orange something pie and I taste it, and I'm like, what's this? 
I want my apple pie, and I get all upset because it's not what I want. God is saying, what you sow is what you reap. And he's saying it's just a natural order of things. Even if people go against God's natural order, they're never going to reap what God designed. They're going to reap the natural consequences, which we find is that the last thing he says is that it's error. The idea that it strays from the truth. The very last word he uses, they receive the due penalty for their error. What error? The error of exchanging the natural things for the unnatural things. Men with men, women with women, rather than the marriage, family, relationship. Error, that word, describes a roaming or wandering and thus figuratively a going astray. You know, like cows or my pigs do when they leave the fence. You know, and we've had that. We've had piglets that leave the fence and I've gone out and seen all 26 of them running out in my field. It's like, ah! (laughs) You know, I was a little crazy that morning. Kedrick can tell you, and I lost my cows, I lost my dogs, and I still got the pigs in, but then I had to chase the cows and got the cows back in and never got the dogs in, but they came home, so that was good. Cows are just going to keep going wherever the grass is green. (laughs) There was a problem with that, like last night. I don't know if Will heard them. He was staying at our house, Uh, but there was coyotes right at our gate last night, and they were trying to get through our property. I was out there at 2 o'clock in the morning. And with my gun. <laughs> and the coyotes were right there. My dogs were going nuts. And uh, so I went out there. And uh, praise the Lord, none of the piglets decided to wander. We have had that. We've had piglets that have left the confines of, of the pen, which they have three pens that they can live in. And then they have a field that they can live in that has, you know, electric fences. And we've gone out and we've seen two of them dragged out uh, out of the field and over to where the coyotes were. We see the footprints and everything. There's a thing, when you go against the natural things, when you sow the things of your flesh rather than the things of the Spirit, you go out of the confines that God intends to protect you and he leaves you to whatever destruction that is naturally going to come. That's why the wisest man in the world, he wrote Proverbs 14, verse 8, and he says this. He asked God for wisdom, and this is what God gave him. And he said, the wisdom of the prudent, or the wise, is to discern his way. But the folly of fools is deceiving. He's saying they believe in lies. And then he writes verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. That's what he's talking about by error here. It leads to destructive nature and ultimately the death. We've seen it in the Roman Empire and you say, well, what happened? Because for the last several hundred years, well, last thousand years, we haven't seen what we read about during the Greek and Roman era. And now we are starting to see it. The spread of the gospel. You will notice, if you follow history, everywhere the gospel and the truth of God went, man changed. 
The culture changed. It flourished. It grew. They prospered. You know, like, well, what changed about other parts of the world? They turned their back on God. The further that man goes away from God and tries to suppress the truth of God, the worse the civilization gets. We wonder what's going on today. And it's a direct act as a rebellion against God. And so is homosexuality. Homo being man, man created sexuality or passions. It's not God created, it's man. The beautiful thing about it is, is the gospel in God redeems and changes everything. And we get to talk about that next week. Is the beautiful thing that God does to redeem fallen man and how he can change the worst and the most destructive of things. And so we're going to continue this next week as we talk about what we see going on in our world today and all the, all the philosophy that is being taken up. And, it don't, and don't let it fool you, whether it's social justice, whether it's deconstructionism, whether it's all these other isms that are going on today, it's all about replacing God and putting man at top. And that's what we see here. That's why it's wrong. That's why it's error, because it goes against God and his creation. Lord, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for your love that we can actually have a definition of true love, that it's a love that's patterned after our unchanging God. Lord, you have been the same yesterday and today and forever. Just no matter what mankind says, and they, and they tried to change you in the past, and they tried to change you during the New Testament, and they're definitely trying to change you today. But Lord, we know that you are the same. So Lord, I pray that we can look at what we've learned today about what man has distorted and changed and the error that we see. And we can look past it and we can see an unchanging and holy God that loves what he created, that has defined what he's created, that wants to redeem what he's created for an eternal relationship. And Lord, may we turn our hearts to you and not focus on the error that we see, but understand why it's error. Because it doesn't simply reflect you. And may that be the desire of our heart today is to reflect you in our life, in our actions. Lord, help us to realize that you are not mocked. We can't hide What we sow is what we reap. May we be like Paul and agonize for our Savior. May we desire you above all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.